This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. This week we tell the tragic tale of Cyberpunk 2077. This epic video game was originally announced by its developer, the successful Polish studio CD Projekt Red, almost a decade ago in 2012. Hype built for the project over the years and culminated in a 2019 promise of a release in April of 2020. In a series of announcements over the following months, the release date was shifted to September, then November, and finally to December 10. By then, the company had accepted 8 million pre-orders and the pressure to release apparently became impossible to resist. In their promotional materials, the studio said that, with every new project, we set out to make our games bigger, more complex, deeply engaging. The first release of the resulting game was deeply problematic. According to reporting in the New York Times, thousands of gamers have created viral videos featuring a multitude of glitches and bugs, many hilarious, that mar the game. They include tiny trees covering the floors of buildings, tanks falling from the sky, and characters standing up inexplicably pantsless while riding motorcycles. Unreasonable demands on developers led to horrible conditions, endless weeks of extended working hours amidst infighting among executives. In his Hot Takes podcast of December 15th, 2020, Mikhail Klimentov makes the argument that Cyberpunk 2077 is the best case for getting rid of video game release dates altogether. So the release of Cyberpunk 2077 has picked off a lot of the scabs of video game controversies past. Crunch, harassment of writers and journalists and developers, even fans. All of that has come up in this discourse cycle around Cyberpunk 2077. And this might be crazy, but a lot of those problems have something to do with the game's release date. When you have a game and the release date keeps getting pushed back, what that means is that the scope of the project is changing, that the developers are overworked, there are a lot of challenges in the production. Being behind schedule on a release date encourages developers to put out a, a minimum viable product. There are a lot of reviewers and people who have had time with the game who pointed out that the Cyberpunk 2077 doesn't really feel done. Bad artificial intelligence, the fact that the cars go in loops as opposed to following any particular kind of logic, all of that feels like part of the minimum viable product mindset. Get out something that looks like it's working right without it actually being fully fleshed out. The history of gaming, and software more generally, and even more generally, all product development is riddled with horror stories of forced March releases that produce terrible results. Klementov correctly identifies a root of the problem, arbitrary release dates around which expectations have been set. He also clearly cites the bad outcomes that result. We do, however, differ with Klementov's use of the term minimum viable product to refer to the mindset that led CD Projekt SA to release the game in its unfinished state. The initial release of Cyberpunk 2077 was very clearly neither minimum nor viable. It's unfortunate that this podcaster borrowed and misinterpreted this term from Agile. He's perpetuating the myth that Agile encourages the release of buggy junk. This is decidedly not the case. 
The argument that Cyberpunk 2077 isn't viable is clearly supported by the Marcus response to the game. In an unprecedented move, Sony took the extreme step of removing the game from its online store and offering refunds to any purchasers. Nor was the release in any real sense minimum. In terms of content, there are no less than five distinct endings to the storyline. In terms of quality, CD Projekt SA allowed users to test the game before release. However, they provided early versions only on the PC platform, not on the widely popular PS4 and Xbox gaming consoles. Early versions of the game repeatedly crashed on those consoles. What could CD Projekt SA have done differently to release something that was actually viable? They could have made it dramatically more minimal. For example, why five endings? Why not two that are really great, or even one? Then release alternative endings and patches. And why not release the PC version, which was much more stable, and defer the release of the console versions until they were tested and debugged? The possibilities to make better choices are endless. We're afraid that the term minimum viable will develop an undeserved bad reputation from disasters such as cyberpunk. While the toxic impact of release date expectations and pre-orders is rampant in video games, we also see it in our clients. We recently worked with a major player in the financial services industry that was facing an existential threat, primarily from this exact issue. The company routinely built roadmaps that spanned at least a year, promising new offerings and expanded features in its digital products. These roadmaps were given to the sales force, who then built their projections and their expectations for their own quota compensation based on these roadmaps. The salespeople then talked about the not yet existing products with customers. There were several business units in this firm who engaged in some degree of internal competition for the limited development resources available. The result is that the team trying to deliver against roadmaps were tugged in several directions. In trying to meet all the demands, they ended up meeting almost none of them. To further increase the pain, the business units each had a slush fund, a pot of money they could use to fund development directly without going through a central prioritization process. A business unit lead would use this money as leverage with the developers. If they were told that their priority couldn't be met when they wanted it, they'd offer to fund more development capacity with the expectation that this increased funding could accelerate the schedule within the current calendar quarter. Because the teams were frantically chasing the committed roadmaps, they essentially ignored technical debt, the vital underlying work to maintain the health of their systems. The reliability of their digital platforms suffered and none of the business units were happy. The salespeople consistently missed their quota commitments because the products they relied on didn't get delivered on time. Fortunately, the company had recently acquired a smaller firm in an adjacent business. This organization had successfully adopted Agile a few years prior, and had worked through the difficult process of instilling discipline in their planning process. As is too often the case, the executives weren't really talking to each other. We brokered a fascinating conversation that went like this. The CEO of the troubled acquiring company asked the president of the acquired business unit, how do you deal with sales planning when committed dates aren't met? And the acquired business unit president said, I don't understand the question. The acquirer said, so when a product the salespeople have been selling is late, what do you do? And the acquired executive says, oh, we don't plan revenue or make customer commitments on products that aren't released. You don't? Of course not. It creates all sorts of problems when you do that. But then how do you plan? 
we have a baseline plan that's built on products that are already in market and a flex plan based on our current best guess of when new things may come out. But we only communicate numbers from the base plan. We talk about the futures in more general terms without specific dates. Doesn't that undersell your growth potential? Maybe, but it's way better for everyone to set reasonable expectations and beat them. This was a revelation to the acquiring company. Like so many things we encounter in agile transformation, it seems obvious. Short-term financial pressure and the expectations of public markets seem to demand precise and reliable long-term plans. But we know these plans aren't reliable and the external commitments made against them create massive issues. Most software companies have abandoned the practice of publishing roadmaps with specific dates, instead offering general guidance on their pipeline. In a speech in 1957, U.S. General Dwight D. Eisenhower notably said that plans are worthless, but planning is everything. What he meant was that the exercise of planning forces one to imagine and synthesize possible futures so that when things inevitably change and become chaotic, the organization is better prepared to respond. We've heard similar things from our clients. A banking CEO told us that one day he was at his desk looking at a large pile of detailed project schedules and came to the realization that this was all, in his word, useless. False precision that never actually came true. Our financial services client needed a more robust central planning process. Each business unit did their own and then competed for finite resources in a series of meetings that resembled the Hunger Games. Executives tried to kill each other's projects in the hopes of their own surviving. We convinced them to set priorities across the business units based on value so that the allocation of shared resources could be reasonably aligned. Predictably, when they first attempted to set priorities this way, they discovered that they had about five times the amount of work in progress on their precious roadmaps than the company could reasonably deliver. In addition, we advised the client that throwing money at the release schedule expecting short-term acceleration is a failed practice. You can't add people to a project and expect faster delivery in a period of weeks. Refer to the seminal book, The Mythical Man Month by Fred Brooks, published in 1975. It's more reasonable to expect that adding people will slow the work down as they're sourced, hired, integrated, and eventually become productive. We told the client to only expect additional resources to add value after a minimum of three months and that the business unit development funds should be eliminated in favor of more committed capacity in stable, persistent teams. And finally, that the leadership needed to listen to what the teams were saying about what they could reasonably deliver while balancing the critical need for system maintenance and reliability. Of course, there is such a thing as a hard date. In banking, if a regulator says that something must be fixed or the bank will be shut down, that's a hard date. But most dates aren't that critical. They're established through an imperfect process that yields imperfect results. Expectations based on imperfect plans are therefore imperfect. It's essential to understand the relative value of plans versus planning and how the output of planning should be communicated with the understanding that plans inevitably change. Please follow Agile Storytime for more informative, insightful, and inspiring stories. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com slash agile.